Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, the crappy quiz, and a slight tangent. Get you going that little if you bit. Say to anger it. is a great ah, motivator. Yeah. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Gaelic football on Off the Ball. With AIB, proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship. Check out hashtag the toughest for more. Morris Brosnan of the Irish Examiner is with us. Morris, happy Friday to you. How are you? Great, Jerry, on yourself? Yeah, good weekend to look forward to. Uh, plenty in both codes to get stuck into. The county of Galway in particular, uh, a crucible weekend for them, you would say, in both hurling and football. Can we start with the footballers? Um, of all of the ones of the teams who are suffering the most jeopardy uh, this weekend, Galway are the ones who must be looking at themselves going, how do we manage to get ourselves in this situation? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I thought we'd cast away that damned term of jeopardy, but uh, apparently it's still around for, for at least another week. Um, yeah, just fine margins there. Like I, the, the great irony is, if you look at the, as a sequence of results, if this had happened the other way around in terms of losing to Armagh by a, a point and then going on to, to fairly comfortably dismiss of Tyrone and beat Westmead, you'd be thinking they're they're hopping. But just the nature of that one free for, for Shane Walsh, the fine margins without that game, Shane Walsh missing the penalty as well, and suddenly they find themselves in a, in a world of pain. It's, you know, I think about as a county perspective, it's interesting. Last week in, or two weeks ago in Galway, the hurling championship for the local club championship was made. The draw was was made, and there was no interest in it. Like nobody was really talking about it. Local media didn't really pay any attention to it. But the football championship draw was made this week, and suddenly a lot of people are looking at that and thinking, "Geez, that could be that could be our future." As of Monday, suddenly we're all we're focused to, to local matters. So definitely, there's a lot more on edge, you would say. But, but from a football sector, they are where they are. There's a load of caveats you could say about why they they're here, and even if they lost whether or not the season was success or failure, but ultimately I think it's, it, as this is another phrase we're going to hear a lot over the next couple of days, it's, it's do or die. Yeah. Why are they in this scenario? What What is it? Was it just um, an uncareful husbandry of resources? I don't think so. If you were to sit down at the very start of the year, and which I did, and look back over Park Joyce's three years in charge and taught up who were the 15 most important players, who were the players who played the most minutes under him, at the, you know, this was a three-year project. He signed it, or sorry, he agreed a new deal to stay on for another three years at the start of the year. But if we were to do that based off his first initial three-year term, what's striking is that how many of them suddenly were lost. True, I don't, don't think there's any fault of anybody, just bad luck, I would say. Fionn Ali was in that 15, who was a sub, who came on the Ireland final. He went to Australia. Kieran Malloy and Liam Silk were both in that 15. They were both injured. Sean Mulcairn, obviously, the fullback who shattered his kneecap last year. He hasn't seen a minute of action since. Then you throw in on top of that, uh, it was the Roscommon League game in South Hill when Damien Comer, six minutes in, soars for a ball in the square, lands very awkwardly on his knee. The initial fear is, is, is his year over. The way he went down, the way he limped off, we started to fear about that. And then you throw in on top of that, the very first league game, Robert Finney, just, uh, that was, there was no malicious in it. It was just a, a, a late block as somebody who's kicking a point. His ankle gets, gets a knock. That was the same ankle he injured against Mayo last year. So that just compounds everything that's happening. And given the nature of this, and this is why this game is such a killer for them, Gerard, as well. They really didn't get uh, a nice window to resolve all that kind of stuff. Shane Walsh comes back late. He's immediately fired in to make up for other absences. They're playing week on week. And there's never a, a window to solve all this kind of stuff. So, you know, you can... I'd say the lads are doing all kinds of cryotherapy. They were down in Black Rock in the sea last night, doing all the kind of stuff that you would try and do for recovery. But without that, what would have been such a crucial two-week block here, they're, they're under the cosh. Uh, how under the cost do you think they are? Like So Comer's named, Sean Kelly's named. We heard rumour of crutches last week for Sean Kelly. He's he's at 
he's at the level where if they were to continue on and have the if they win this game and reach a semi-final and maybe a final he's in the conversation for footballer of the year so uh, they really need him but if he's not fit he's not fit yeah uh, not just rumours I, I mean it could have been a preventive but I, I definitely saw him he came out we were waiting for McGinney and Carrick on Channel last Sunday he came out against me on crutches and his, his ankle was in a, a moon boot as well so that was there's a situation that could have been post game whatever you want to call it but get, no matter what way you look at it from that to a weak turnaround is going to be incredibly difficult and he is such as you mentioned he is such a crucial player particularly given if he comes out, as I mentioned, Silke Malloy already missing. So if he comes out, you have such an inexperienced full-back line. Like it, realistically, it probably ends up being Keane Hernan, who you know, came back from a career-threatening injury last year, really. He came in for a mid-championship debut, did really well on John Heston against Westmead. Probably wasn't had a, a more difficult day on Andrew Mernon last week. He'll be in full-back. In the other corner, you have Johnny McGrath, who only came to the team last year. And Jack Lynn, who's the young footballer of the year. So that is just a really inexperienced full-back line. And when you consider there's every chance those three will line out in Southdale on Sunday and they'll be facing down against Aidan O'Shea, uh, one of Tommy Connery or Killian O'Connor and Ryan O'Donoghue. That's it's a fairly formidable matchup, I have to say. Yeah. On the other side, right? Well, have we seen Aidan O'Shea up against Sean Kelly in, in a full game before, like as opposed to going in and out? I don't think... Has... So, uh, 2021, they played in Crow Park in the, the 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 last of the COVID year and uh Sean Kelly was rampaging forward for the first half. He did he caused wreck. And I don't know if you remember at halftime him and Rob Finley they both got injured and both came off. And the first three balls, first literally the start of that second half, they all lumped three balls in on top of Aiden O'Shea and he destroys them. They they just didn't have a matchup to live in him. But now I would say if Keen Hernan ends up going in there, Keen Hernan will do the same thing as Sean Kelly tries to do. He'll try and run him. He won't go wrestling him because he I think they know better than to, to let that happen. But uh, as as matchups go, it would be would be a huge challenge for Aidan O'Shea. I mean, suddenly at the back of that free last weekend, you know, I, I know it's you can't keep pointing at raw numbers, particularly with a guy like his game. But the fact is, he's only scored once from playing this championship is going to start become a, a, an issue. So there is there's a bit of pressure on him to step up this weekend. As a matchup, it would be it would be amazing. Uh, the league final is probably we saw another ish version of it. But again, that game was. Um, what would you call it, cagey. So maybe we didn't see it, the, the one-on-one duo that you want. But now maybe who's to say we'd get it this weekend anyway? Yeah, I don't think I don't think we're going to get it this weekend. Do you? Uh, like, do you, do you? How confident are you that we're going to get sixty or seventy minutes from Sean Kelly? Not very at all. Uh, not very. I don't. Uh, you know, this this is a very obvious thing to say in one respect, but both sides have named their their teams, their so-called twenty-sixes as of today. I would be shocked if those two teams start. I, you know, I mean, if I was the if they've pushed me for a number, I think there'll be four changes combined here now before those games start. We don't know what the situation is with Galway. Last weekend, Dylan Q and Damien Comer were named. They both didn't start. It was a situation with getting a medical note in time. They end up having this panel of 24. I asked Park Joyce about it afterwards. He said it wasn't an issue, but other teams have been able to get make those the standby pairs available. So you could imagine whatever happens this weekend, they'll have that boxed off and ready to go if they need it. But yeah, I wouldn't... I wouldn't. I think on both sides it could be changes here. Will you just explain that for for people who probably are unaware? The the uh, you've got to tell Croke Park, yeah. the powers that be, who your match day squad is, and then you're not allowed to make changes unless medical emergency. Is that it? Yeah. So this was made. This was uh, at the start of the year. There was a couple of things that the GA wanted to make clear. You know, one thing I don't know if you remember. There was a thing about the disciplinary process. Like they wanted to outline this. The system actually does work. Like there are people are. A lot of people, including me, have said the disciplinary process in the GA is broken. But when you actually look at the raw numbers, the much of successful appeals, it kind of bears out that there's a system there and it, it does its job. At the same time, they wanted to spell out about this 
this 26 a situation that a couple of managers have done Kylie, I don't know if you remember the Limerick Carling manager took particular issue with it, but effectively you have to submit a 26 on a Thursday night to Crow Park. You would put in your 26 and line it up whatever way you deem fit, but a lot of teams would go 115 and under subs. And they'll release that to the media on Friday morning. That's why you see a lot of teams this and this will help us promote the game, help us talk about the game. Journalists like me have been crying out for this stuff for, for donkey's years. So they they'll get that these 26 and the only way you can make a change to that 26 is if you have uh, a bereavement, a medical note, or uh, this was a couple of months ago now, so a COVID cert as well. That was the other, those three, you can make a change to 26. It sounds like there's a bit of a deadline in and around throwing how close you can get in your the paperwork to do that. But as long as you have, you submitted those pair, a four standby list, and you've submitted one of those reasons, you can get. So we've seen a couple of teams have, have done that this year. Mayo actually have, have done it, have brought in somebody from the standby list. But for whatever reason, Galway weren't able to do that last weekend. Would that suggest they didn't have a standby list of four players? Because obviously they, they all have team doctors. You can just write a, a, a search. Exactly. Or there, I, I, my guess is that there was a, a paperwork issue. I'm, I'm not I'm not fully okay. sure is the honest answer. But they had, just to, to clarify, Desi Keneally and Jared Averin, who weren't in the 26, did the warm-up, so didn't for the national anthem. But my understanding is they weren't that able to come on. They didn't have the... That they had to... What they had in the day as a match day panel 24. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, is that like... You have to plan for every eventuality. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and look, better to have it happen last week than this week. And maybe that's what they need to learn. In terms of the changes that you think might be made, the Galway ones are relatively... Uh, I, I mean, I, we can certainly speculate about them and, and they're they're obvious. In terms of Mayo and the changes that they might make, what do you think? Um, so there's two things here. There's the... What you would foresee is the predicted change. Jamie O'Connor was a name to start. That was kind of an obvious one. I'm not sure will... James Carr start. He's got a great record against Galway. I don't think I need to remind anybody of the goal he scored against him in, in 2019 in, in the Gaelic rounds. But I don't know if his form justifies his inclusion his inclusion from the start, particularly when you consider Tommy Connery came on and scored 1-1 and Killian O'Connor tore up for his club last, last weekend and it's finally back in the 26th. So we might see at least one change there. The other one is, uh, you could argue it's the biggest, uh, what everyone call it, conundrum of Ken McStay's managerial reign is what is he going to do about his spine or particularly about six like the the, the prevailing theme now is stuff we've talked about I, I spoke about it on this show previously is they don't necessarily know their best midfield combination they definitely don't seem to have a short plan about centre-back his big idea the thing McStay wedded himself to when he went into Mayo was Conor Loftus as their centre-back and then you look at the not even just the concession of the penalty but just I, I thought actually there was a, a kick out before that where Michal Martin was you know, it very obviously did not want to kick the ball long, big press on, eventually goes long, the ball is flicked over, and they're just wide open down that centre channel. And that, I think, has to be a concern. So does this is something, they've done a lot of experimentation, but the only real adjustment they've done at centre-back is Jason Doherty played their, the the dead rubber league game against Monaghan, uh, which ironically actually conceded the, the black card that when we finally, everybody was reminded of this new penalty rule about the 21-metre drag backs. But that was the only other adjustment we've seen at Centre back. So, so do they stick with it? Do they persevere with this idea that this was their idea when they came in at the very start? It's work they, to their mind. Maybe it is working. Anytime Kevin McStay is, is asked about it, he's very defensive of the player and doesn't feel that he's the criticism is justified and makes the case of what they're actually looking at is what he does with the ball. And he's, he's such a good baller and his kick passing abilities, you know, that, that's proven. But it's out of possession that the, the conundrum is. So I don't know. The honest answer is I don't know. I wonder will could you see something like Paddy Durkin win six or is there a flyer that Jason Doherty goes in there or do they just stick with? what they've been doing for, for the year and, and hope it pays off. And can you not just offer him auxiliary support by dropping back one of your half forwards? See, that's, I wonder, was that why, was that the idea last week that rather than all this focus on him, it's a systematic thing and that's why they started Cone, 
Andrew Wan and Jamie O'Connor. These three, uh, you know, of those three, two were kind of defensive midfielders, and they theoretically will drop back and be able to cover for that channel. And Jamie O'Connor is brilliant at that; he covers back so well. But it didn't work. Like that, that if that was your plan, it didn't work against Cork, and that has to be a, a concern. That whatever, but I would say when you think about how Keane O'Neill is, how well he knows this Mayo team, how we. Galway were set up for the first day in Casabar last year. We know exactly how Galway are going to play. Like th- there's absolutely no doubt about it that they're going to going to mirror what they did last year. This probably won't be the particularly given the weather conditions. It won't be the most uh, open game. I still think it'll be an entertaining game, but I don't know if it'll be the most open game. But all that considered, that's if you're drawing a, a target around Mayo, that's one thing they're going to drill down on. So they're going to have to have some. They can't stick with what they've been doing for this season. They're going to have to change something. So whether that's personnel or whether it's system, we'll find out someday. It's such a good game. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. And even just the, from a local perspective, like I do think it's, it's it kind of reminds me, I, I interviewed um, uh, Billy Joyce, who is Park's uncle. One thing I've noticed about Park Joyce, actually, he's very, he's very conscious of history. Like, you know, I'm, before the All-Ireland Final last year, there was a media event in Pierce Stadium and he, he was at his most expressive when he was asked about Sean Purcell. That was when he was really kind of open and remember the days when he'd come into the dressing room and this Galway legend and the, the little kind of quirks and models that he would say to the lads at the time. And, uh, the before so Galway were pretty much convinced of a they were going to get a league final before the final round, and Portrois brought up unprompted the fact that they hadn't won a league title since his uncle Billy won one in the eighties. That was the last league final that they got won. That streak still obviously because they lost the Mayo. That streak still continues. But I interviewed Billy anyway before that league final, and I remember asking him about the Mayo rivalry, and he said um, during his career, like he played sixteen years for Galway, and beating Mayo was like going to mass. Like they lost once ever. They Got their club uh, with their club Clarence. They got to two kind of finals. Beck Gary Moore and one Bet Castlebar and the other. Like they had just an unbelievable dominance over Mayo. And then suddenly that flipped. Like under James Horn, effectively they did this a six in a row to the extent where in 2015 or twenty sixteen, sorry, when Galway finally ended that streak before they won any silverware, their fans are invading the pitch in Castlebar singing "Low Lie the Fields of Athenry." So there was this you know, huge shift then. And then last year, when you consider how big that result was for, for Park Joyce in that context, and that's why I'd say the 2020 and 2021 losses to Mayo really stung. Like it, it was their end of their championship year. 2020 was the Joe McLaughlin tackle, if anybody remembers that, when he, when he slide tackle at the end. I'd say that really, really stung. No intercounty manager likes losing, but Park Joyce definitely doesn't like losing. Uh, and Def doesn't like losing to Mayo. So you add all that context in, the fact that what effectively kick-started the successful period of his manager, Mayor Crane, was the Mayo game last year. And now you've got a game where, as of Monday, one of these two teams are out. Like it just, it couldn't be set up better. And in your head, is there a pattern of play that leads you to think one of them is better set up to play the other, and so therefore, in your head, they're favourites? Uh, I, I think Galway's issues, by and large, this year have been personnel in terms of missing personnel injuries, and the final five percent that they were. You know, when Tyrone are down to thirteen players, they didn't put the foot down. Probably their conversion was pretty poor against Armagh. Didn't take enough of their chances. Whereas my sense from Mayo is that their issue is still a system, still and a system of play that they come up against and they still don't have a definitive answer. We saw that against Loud, we definitely saw that against Cork. And that's a more that's a deeper issue than what's facing Galway right now. Now there's still every chance that Mayo would beat beat Galway. Their recent record is pretty good in this, and there's a lot of players there who have enjoyed a lot of fantasy. And the one advantage from a Mayo perspective, Jerry, as well, is that if you consider this Galway team, not since 2017, have they lost a championship game? And still been in the competition to go on and win a championship game. So you know, you just look back on their, their records. 2018 lost to Monaghan, lost to Dublin. 2019, they were beaten by Ross Common in Connacht, went into the Gaelic Grounds and lost to Mayo. 2020, 
and a new whole new group. That team was effectively dismantled and they brought in a new bunch of Joyce's 20s. 2020, they lost the kind of final, they're out for the year. 2021, lose the kind of final, they're out for the year. Uh, last year, 2022, losing all in final, they're out for the year. So they have never had to lose, deal with that disappointment and then lift it again in a week's time. Whereas Mayo, and I mean this with the, the greatest respect in the world, Mayo have trademarked that. That is their, their incredible ability is that they lose to Galloway in the opening championship game last year and spin it within a week to go on and beat Monaghan and Kildare. They have such a good ability. They know this road really well. And I wouldn't overestimate how big an advantage that is. Okay, so you're making Mayo slight favourites. I think if Sean Kelly doesn't play, I think Mayo are, are definitely favourites. But if he does, I, you can say the simplistic analysis, but I do think he is so integral to, to what Galway do. He's a crucial player. So if he, if he plays, he'd give Galway the edge. But if not, he'd give to Mayo. We are uh, talking with Anthony Nash today about the hurling, so we're not going to spend too much time talking about the, the Galway hurlers, but it is like a, one of those seismic weekends for the entire county where they could both catapult themselves into All-Ireland contenders if they win this weekend in a specific manner. If they come through one scathe in terms of injuries, like if the footballers overcome Mayo, they're going to fear nobody, assuming uh, Sean Kelly's fitness for the rest of the season and uh, Shane Walters in form. With the hurlers, if, if they can just get a little bit confident get confident stupid then uh, you know the difference between them and Kilkenny was a hair's breadth the difference between Kilkenny and, and Limerick last year wasn't that much and Limerick have definitely come back to the pack so like a big hour weekend for the good folk of Galway yeah and the the, the really easy thing to do is draw a parallel and how it's a defining game for both but I, I think the pressure on the hurlers is uh, is very different I think the, the hurlers there's way more onus on them to get a result for a couple of reasons. If you look at where Galway hurling is right now, I don't know if it's if it's fully appreciated. Just you speak broadly, they had incredibly successful minor teams four and five years ago. Of that, only one of them is on the senior panel. Don Roche, Aim Roche's son is the only one who's who's kicked on from that. They haven't introduced as many young players as you would like to see into their senior group. A lot of their stalwarts are the same guys who won in Ireland and are now in their thirties. So their big idea, talking about big ideas, their big idea is to swap. Jerry McInerney and the high break from three to six to six to three. That's their change. Um, you know, Joseph Cooney is still a star with this team. Conor Cooney probably isn't in form. He hasn't been able to start now this weekend. It's probably unsurprising to a lot of people. But into that, that burst, that youthful burst injection hasn't come. And you add in on that the fact that as a club championship, St. Thomas's have been unbelievably dominant in Galway. They're an incredible club, a small village club, but they were, you know, wiped effectively in the semi-final last year and had, had no success when they left the Galway Championship before that as well. And you start to you start to worry what would happen to Galway Hurling if they don't have a, a big season soon. Like I, that's why I think the losing that Leinster final as and you're totally right as close as it was, there was a real need for silverware. There was it's one Leinster title in, in five years now, and the question is why. And when you consider all that, I think there really needs a spark from somewhere. That's why I do think this game is is crucial from a Galway Hurling perspective. Just flip it, draw the obvious comparison. The footballers, poor choice, I think, has brought up 13 of his from those two under 20 teams into that senior team. So all of them, that's a huge progression. Long term, you wouldn't have any fear about that. Whereas just from a from a hurling perspective, the way their under 20s were, were so meek in, in Leinster this year, all that stuff would definitely spell that. There is there's a big pressure on I'm not talking about this specific group, but just Galway Hurling collectively definitely needs a, a big result. Yeah, um Scala was talking about how um Paul Bellew was talking to him about the fact that it's basically been one score that they've been knocked out in most of the last seven or eight seasons uh, and so they're they're so close to being at the very top table and yet if they lose this weekend 
they're going to feel very far away. They will, and that's you probably have to. And like that point to scale me there is, is so valid, and you kind of have to disattach from the you know the usual stuff that's shown at the hurdles about psychological weakness or a soft underbelly or all that kind of carry on. Like that, that I, I do think that that's not necessarily the issue. Go, we have a brilliant record, by the way, of losing in particularly in the finals in a, a bunch of different fashions and bouncing back really well in quarterfinals. They did it in Michal Dunhu's first year. They were beaten by Kenny, bounced back against Clare. They did it last year, obviously. I mean, that that they were like they were castigated after that uh, Kenny result. That's probably uh, the no-show that came with it in the Leinster final last year and bounced back to beat Cork. So you wouldn't absolutely underwrite the fact that they have they have that in their locker. And speaking of the, the point we made earlier, the players know that road. They know exactly what it takes to, to lift it again. But there definitely is this, you know, even this, the, the, the scale of which I personally think that goal team will start. But when you consider the fact that if I told you to start a year, Ronan Glennon, who was such a, a leading light last year, he is no longer form. He's not going to start. Conor Cooney's not going to start. Vinter uh, Burke is not going to start. You'd be you'd be surprised. So there is an element of not really sure where they're at, and uh, a positive result would give so much validation to a lot of what's going on. Okay, um, back to the football because we've done enough hurling. Uh, Gaelic football and off the ball is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the GA Senior Football Championship. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Uh, Kevin Feely, your piece with him was. Uh, in my mind, one of the defining pieces of the uh, GA year that was committed to print. Um, it was brilliant, and it was it was totally honest about the difficulties in coming back. But also, I think the thing that maybe we don't always appreciate about these players, and I, I, I was thinking about it from the Cork perspective as well, is that they've laboured for so long in effectively what the county would consider a wilderness, but the level of commitment and dedication they had probably even surpasses the dedication and commitment that the players and the best teams have because the best teams are so festooned with great talents um, and there's a, a few of the Cork footballers that sprung to mind when I was thinking about that last week and the connection with Feely but for Feely to have that moment and for the whole country to see it like no greater man deserved it than him Yeah exactly you, you, yeah you, you couldn't have said that better and I appreciate that as well but just from a like from a broad sake the point you made there is so valid if you think about Joe Connor, from a, a Kerry perspective, Joe Connor is was Kerry captain last year. Does his ACL, played in the final, does the ACL. But the obvious attraction for Joe Connor is to get back to an All Ireland winning team. He's played in the Ireland final. He's he's tasted that. There's such an easy caveat there. And the thing that I was kind of curious and I wanted to delve down to when I met Kevin was how do you how do you motivate yourself to go through this incredible rehab program? Like push yourself to the nth degree. To to what end? What are, what are you trying to get back towards? And he was. I just remember me. I met him in, in Tata where he, he has he's a physical trainer there and he has a gym and um, he was so adamant that Kildare can be a superpower. I think he said that they can be they can rise again and he wants to be part of that. He I think he actually said he wants to drive that. And when you consider that context and how you know how he pushed his body to get back and this is in the context of he had a really bad knee injury the year previous as well and, uh, against Dublin again, um, which was a contact injury just a, a really unlucky. And then as you say, did his Achilles playing a club championship game. Had absolutely no idea what happened. Tried to he turned to confront the man behind him, thinking he'd been kicked, and then realised immediately, "Oh, this is a lot more serious than that." And within six months' time, is back in Dublin. And when you consider, so that was the context to which we did our piece, or which I spoke to him. And then in the months or the weeks previous, you could argue it, it turned worse in terms of the you'd know better than I would, but definitely seemed to be the mood really soured around Clare. Um, I remember it, just the small wins, how much they seemed to say were the small wins, hoping for a spark from somewhere. I did the Cusick Park game when they played Clare and they really took a huge moment in front of the, the, what was a fairly modest away supporters that day to embrace that. But Feely was 
again that day was awesome in and out of the team plays this big new idea was he was getting full forward against Sligo and actually caught a mark early that day and I was like okay this could be interesting and then you see what happens last weekend and you, I mean there's no there's nobody who probably deserves it more but just from the perspective of what I would say as much as he is driving himself individually to get back there he's doing it for the collective and uh, if you can't admire that then you're probably in the wrong game it was uh, Ian McGuire who I was thinking of from Cork particularly at the weekend as well like the chance that uh, Cork and Kildare have now to turn this into an incredible season for them by getting back to Croke Park and then putting it up to somebody in a quarter final that's the prize on offer for them and I think that's the excitement of this wildcard weekend uh, that uh, you know again maybe the games are one sided at the weekend and maybe we've we've uh, misunderstood or something happens and there's um, a a softness or something that happens in the games and they're less exciting than we think they could be but for this for the preview for us to be able to legitimately talk about these counties in a way that we've seen enough of them we've seen the pattern begin to emerge we've got enough to talk about to credibly say that they can hold their own against the best teams in the co- I think this is all working out no? Uh, from, from a system perspective you mean? Well I still think there's Massive flaws, obviously, but I think last weekend retrospectively justifies the first two rounds of matches. Yeah, I would agree to a to a certain extent. I do think the the, the great thing about the nature of this system as well is that like, like the we keep saying there's no great teams in this championship. I heard you talking about the the situation where individuals could win all Ireland's basically this year if you had a, a great performance. But in that context, the value of momentum, like the value of them, I don't think you'd underestimate what it means for Clare and Cork to be bouncing into this weekend games. When you consider the context of a Galway, for example, like a Galway about and the, the psychological damage that was done last week, trying to come back from the, that setback, and suddenly you're you're scrambling, trying to get fit and stuff. Whereas I just from a from a move like there's no there's nothing tangible we can point to. There's no metric here that you would say this is the reason that they're going to be okay. But from from a Cork and Clare perspective, I would, and maybe people disagree with me on this. I think from a Cork and Clare perspective, a performance is way more important this weekend than a result. Even if they were to lose, but bow out with their head as I go and touch the whole team like a Westmead did against Tyrone, I think that would have you in a lot greater stead than if they were to scrape our result and then go out meekly in a qualifying or something like that. I do think, from a just from a, a, a long term perspective, I know that's not what these players care about, but it would definitely stand for them to again come out with a, a big performance this weekend, show that we're able to be a consistent, competitive team for the duration. Because that was the that was the label that was shown them for London, that they, both of those counties specifically were, were flaky. So if they could put together consistent performances, I think that would be wonders. I, I, I tend to agree with you. The one thing I would say is that I feel now if they were to put in big performances, those big performances could easily result in victories. Like that's the bit where it turns out we were undervaluing many of the things that the teams were doing. That Like if you if you take half of the Kildare, the game that they had against the, the two halves in the in the league, and the Leinster Championship against the Dubs, uh, the game in Nolan Park, disaster set up, seems to have been, it seems like they collectively forgot what had worked for them <laughs> in Leinster. Um, that half that you talk about uh, in Clare, when Kildare, that essentially kept Kildare out of the Talton Cup and gave them the opportunity yeah. to have last weekend's victory. And I don't know, if, if they were to be able to follow that up, I can see how that would be a catapult forward for them. And I, I think the same if, if Cork were to win this weekend, then they're going to feel good about life for the next couple of years. They will, and they have the Cork have the added bonus of that they know there's a huge injection of of young players coming. There's there seems to be a new coach in his first year. You could definitely point to that that you get a, a huge lift out of that. On top of that, then as well that the 
they're getting their stalwarts on the pitch, which I think is so important. Like Brian Hurt, I know he came off injured uh, last weekend and you'd hope that he'll turn around for this weekend, but Brian Hurley back on the pitch playing well is so important. Ian Maguire and Colin McCallan in the midfield. They are, and the big thing from a Cork perspective, and actually from a Clare perspective too, funnily enough, they're a ferociously athletic team. There's no, this idea that there would be any gulf between them and the top teams has been totally diminished because you, you just look at Colin McCallan and Ian Maguire and then you, right in front of them you've got Roy Dean and Killian O'Hanlon. Like these guys are, these are thoroughbreds. There's you have absolutely no fear about them competing with anybody else. So from a, an athletic perspective, I still do think like Cork are trying to get the balance, right? Cork, Cork are Cork remind me of when Kevin Walsh first went into Galway. Like there's, there still should be, despite how good that result was last week, I still think there should be room to get Stephen Sherlock and Brian Hurley into the same team. I still think that Connor Turbish should be on the field. This guy was such a talented underage player. So there, there, <laughs> there, there's a way to go yet. But so, I mean, I, I couldn't, disc- I couldn't agree to more. Like from right now, they are. All signs are positive. One last thing, and I know we've, we've got to wrap this up, but um, the other thing that's happening is that everybody's getting the same amount of exposure. And so therefore, it feels like we might have one of the most competitive years ever for All-Stars and maybe one of the best years ever for All-Stars and that they will be totally fair. It won't just be, oh, you reached the All-Ireland final and so therefore you're going to have eight or nine players because you're the best team in the country. We'll be like, well, hang on a second. We actually got loads of exposure to players who played high-octane games as many high octane games as everybody else and so therefore like at this stage you would say Andy Smith is a shoe in for example and I'm not sure that that would have been the case if he just had the Connacht Championship and then they'd been knocked out in an All-Ireland quarterfinal or semi-final Yeah I'll text you in a month and remind you of this when it was an All-Ireland semi-final and the final that was decided a lot of these phases. I have no I have no ties to a selection committee I'm not on a selection committee but I definitely do think that it is an issue with the outside selection is that it is affected by recency bias not that semi-final and final performances shouldn't have more waiting. But just for example, right, if you consider Brian Sack, Brian Sack, the Roscommon defender, has started off his championship by Mark and Ryan who kept him scoreless. He then went on to Shane Walsh. He then went on to the Dublin game, uh, Conor Callahan. In total, of those three players, he conceded two points. Then goes into Sligo, takes Niall Murphy, who again is an incredibly brilliant forward. I think he kept him to a point. Like this guy has been a sensational man-marking defender. But if Roscommon go out this weekend, I think all that is forgotten. I don't think people are going to remember how good Brian Sack was for those games, unfortunately, even though you could argue there's, you know, he's got four. Somebody needs to have more than four brilliant defensive performances to to knock him off. But I'm not sure if it will happen. The other thing, just on the point you made there in terms of the benefit of this system, because teams are this is the same thing that happened in the league because they're getting constant exposure to top quality teams. Tactically, you're forced to innovate again and again and again. So that's good for Gaelic football. Like gradually, because you're playing, you will learn so much by playing top level teams. A team like Cork, for example, what they got out of that round robin series what that'll do for their system and make them a better team. And then that'll happen across the board. So you would hope that this would rise all boats. But Morris, the game is dead. Did you knock it now? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not standing here with my head in my sand and saying the last couple of months was was brilliant either. But I, I just, I would have, I sure, I can remember vividly a month ago, a month ago, sitting at home at the end of the league, watching the Sunday game. And Jackie Terrell and Don Logue were on the screen talking about why they wanted to ban consecutive hand passes, that every restart needed to go up behind 45, to how badly the hurling was. This was based off the, the, what they saw in the league. And I thought the league for hurling was terrible too. But we're six months later and now we're hailing what is we all claim to be the greatest sport in the world. So I just would say that there's no harm, there's no harm in judging the whole sample site that maybe that conversation could happen after the season when we've uh, we're all a bit more rational about it. Yeah. 
that's not part of our accelerated culture though Morris <laughs> thanks a million enjoy the weekend cheers you too sure it's Morris Brosnan of the Irish Examiner there and a reminder getting football and off the ball is in partnership with AIB proud sponsors of the GA Senior Football Championships check out the hashtag the toughest for more we also did quick picks if you missed those they're in the uh, OTB GA podcast feed wherever you get your podcast, and of course the best place is the OTB Sports app Gaelic football on Off The Ball with AIB proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship check out hashtag the toughest for more